We're going to continue our series on momentum today, and we're going to continue with uh, our study in the book of Acts. So if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn in the book of Acts, and we're looking at chapter number six. Today we're going to look at a subject called resilience. Don't we admire people who are knocked down, but they get back up? And it seems like no matter how many times they get knocked down, they just get right back up. We used to have a toy when I was a kid. They probably don't make them anymore because it was a violent toy. It was a little bozo thing that you blew up, and it had a little weight in the bottom. And you could punch that thing as hard as you wanted to. Of course, nobody punches anymore. We're much too gentle for that. <laughs> I miss those days. But you could punch that thing in every direction at all different times, and it would fall over and come right back up. It would, just, it would just bounce right back up. See, our parents are so smart, they were teaching us resilience, even as three-year-olds. A little violently, but it's okay. Resilience is getting back up. Not just getting back up, but getting back up better than when we were knocked down. That's resilience. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, you're in Acts chapter number 6, and we're going to read verses 8 through 15, and then we're going to skip and read another portion. So we're in Acts 6. Let's begin reading at verse number 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freemen. It was called Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up all the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. And they seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified these fellows never stop speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses that were handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now if you'll turn over to the end of chapter number 7. All through chapter number 7, Stephen gives a defense of the gospel, an apologia or an apologist. He gives a defense starting at the very beginning on through the prophets and shows how Jesus Christ is God's Messiah, the one that God selected to be the Savior of the world. And he's presenting this gospel to them from Genesis straight through the Bible. But as he's doing this, he could see the anger that is rising up in these religious leaders hearts and lives. He could see it in the expression on their face. And finally, he just begins to turn to them and say, listen, guys, you're the ones that crucified Christ, but he would not be held down and he was raised from the dead. And at this, they just became furious with Stephen. Let's read there in verse number 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this they covered their ears 
and yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Resilience is not the ability to escape harmful or difficult situations. It is the ability to withstand them. Webster says that resilience is the capacity to recover quickly from difficulties. I would say that the Bible takes it a little step further and it says it's the capacity to recover while in a difficulty. Booker T. Washington said, I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles overcome while trying to succeed. Resilience is that ability to say, this will not hold me down. This will not be the final straw. This will not be the end. Now, we're looking at Stephen, and for him, this was the end. The, Stephen was the first martyr of the church, and all of the disciples would be martyred eventually. And yet, before that, they went through great difficulties and trials and tribulations, and they were resilient and kept coming back and preaching the gospel because they were in love with Christ. For Stephen, this was the end. And yet, at the end of his life, we learn what it takes to be resilient. Resilience is something that we value. It's something that we appreciate in people's lives. And we appreciate it when we exercise that as well. What are some problems developing resilience? Let's get the problems out of the way and then get to uh, how we can build resilience in our lives. The problem uh, with resilience, number one, is the mentality of entitlement. I have a dream, therefore nothing should stand in my way. I want, therefore I should have. It's that sense that I'm too good for problems. I'm too good to get knocked down. I don't deserve that. I didn't do anything that warranted that. And so it won't happen to me. I'm one of the good guys. Well, that's a, a sense of entitlement. You know, God has a way of dealing with that entitlement mentality. You know how he deals with that? Well, he knocks you down. <laughs> he allows things to happen in your life that puts you kind of on your back to where you have to look up and say, God, if they persecuted you, they're going to persecute me. Dwight D. Eisenhower said, there are no victories at bargain prices. In other words, if you're going to have a victory, you got to pay the price. Resilience says, I'm willing to pay the price because I know the one in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him even until that day. That's the God that we serve. The second problem with developing resilience is a faulty mentality of failure. The first question that we really have to ask is, did I actually fail? Have I actually failed? Have I done something wrong or am I really knocked down or is just God taking me on a detour? Is this just simply something that is happening in life? I didn't fail. Nobody's failed. It's just a difficult season of my life 
Some people call that failure when in fact it really is not failure at all. I think about in the Old Testament the widow who was, uh, had a, a children and she didn't know what to do. There was a time of famine. She didn't ask to be a widow. She didn't ask for the famine. And yet in the middle of the famine, she had a miracle with her little jar of oil. The prophet said, go and borrow as many jars as you possibly can. And she did. And she brought them in and she began to pour the oil and it continued to pour, continued to pour, continued to pour until all of the vases were filled. She hadn't failed, but it looked like failure. It might have felt like failure. And yet in the middle of that, God performed a great miracle for her. The third problem with developing resilience is a mentality of fatigue. We just kind of get tired in the fight. We get tired of getting knocked down and getting back up and getting knocked down and getting back up. And yet we recognize the fact that we haven't reached the end yet and we cannot get fatigued. The word tells us do not grow weary in doing well, in doing the right things, because you're going to receive a reward in the end. This life, this world, this planet is not our destiny. There's a destiny that we have that we must keep our eyes fixed on, and that is the eternity that everyone will experience. Some will be in heaven with Christ, and others will be separated from Christ. I know I'm in a group of people that say, I'm going to be with Christ in heaven. Amen? So we've got to keep our eyes on the destiny and not become fatigued in that process. Well, how do we develop resilience? How is that done? I think number one is move from fan to follower. Move from being a fan of Christ to a follower of Christ. There are many people and always have been many people who are fans of Christ. And they're fair weather fans. It's kind of like sports, right? When that team is winning, yeah, I'm a fan. We wear the jersey, hat. When they're losing, we can't find that jersey anywhere. We can't, that hat's gone. We don't know, you know? We count them out. But instead of being a fair-weather fan or even just a fan, God calls us to be a follower, and it's much different. A fan goes to church when it's convenient. A fan prays when it's convenient. A fan will read the Bible when it's convenient, but a follower says, I don't feel like it, but I'm going to anyway. A follower says, I have a pursuit, and the pursuit is Christ my Lord, and where he leads, that's where I'm going to go. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. If anyone wants to be my disciple, There's a denial, and there's a taking up of a cross, and there is a pursuit of following. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German theologian who was in the resistance of Adolf Hitler during World War II. And he said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It is in that death that we experience life. It is in the laying down of our own desires in our own selfishness, and our own entitlement that we come to realize that that's where life really begins. Fullness of life does not, is not experienced when we're thinking about ourselves and trying to gratify everything that we want. And in America, that's a very easy attitude to have, that I want, therefore I should have. I have a dream, therefore nothing should stand in my way. And yet God calls us to do something quite different. And in order to develop that resilience, he says, you must die to self. 
You must die to your way so that you can live to my way. You must die to your selfishness so that you can know what it's like to give yourself and fulfill God's plan for your life, to really experience the greatness of life. The greatness of life is not found in being selfish, but rather being unselfish. But in order to do that, we've got to die. He says, take up your cross and follow me. The word tells us to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So the question is, whose footsteps do you find yourself? In whose footsteps do you find yourself? Are you following the way of the world or are you following Christ? And if we're following Christ, then God is developing in us a resilience that will not ever be defeated. A resilience that says, I will not be defeated. And that leads us to the second aspect of developing resilience, and that's moved from maybe to I will. Maybe. Maybe. I was talking to someone recently on the phone, and I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to try. And I said, are you going to try or are you going to do? There's quite a bit of silence after I asked that question. Or is it, we're just going to try? Anybody can try. But the person who's resilient says, I'm going to do. I'm going to pursue. I'm going to go through every challenge, every obstacle, whatever it takes, and I'm going to reach the end. I'm going to reach my goal. I don't know how long it's going to take and how much it's going to cost, but I'm going to reach my goal. So we've got to move from maybe to I will. There at the end of what we just read, in the end of uh, chapter number seven in Acts, we see a couple of things that Stephen prayed. He said, I will surrender. He said, God, I'm, I'm surrendering to you. I, I've surrendered everything to you. Lord, receive my spirit. Even while he's experiencing rejection and pain, he's saying, God, I still belong to you. Receive my spirit. These guys don't change my destiny. These guys that are knocking me down, throwing stones at me, they don't change my destiny. They don't change my love. They don't change anything about me because my life is in Christ. That's where my life resides. I have died to self and now I'm alive to Christ. So he prayed surrender. Have you prayed that prayer recently? Lord, I surrender to you. If you're a follower of Christ, I trust that you have prayed that. But have you prayed it recently? I don't know about you, but speaking for myself, I've got to pray that quite regularly. Because life happens. Life throws you things that you weren't really expecting, and the natural desire is to, to kind of buck up and, and try and figure it out and solve it and overcome it or just avoid it altogether. <laughs> but instead to say, God, I surrender. I didn't ask for this trouble. I didn't ask to get knocked down, but Lord, I surrender. Your plan, your process, your way, you are my Lord, and I surrender. So if this is what I'm going through, I trust this is your will. You've either orchestrated it or you've allowed it. Either way, this is something that you want to happen in my life. Lord, I surrender to you. The second thing Stephen prayed was, Lord, I forgive. Have you prayed that? Because in order to be resilient in Christ, we must be about surrender and forgiveness. Unforgiveness is bitterness in the soul of the one who has it, not the one who it's projected onto. Unforgiveness will keep you down. 
Unforgiveness will cause you to be knocked down and keep you down, but forgiveness causes you to become resilient. When you say, God, I surrender. I surrender to this process, and I surrender to the fact that these people are doing something that's wrong, and I don't want you to hold it against them. It's okay. That's resilience. That's when we bounce back and we recognize the fact that life is more than just simply comfort and ease. But life is about pursuing someone, and that's going to have its ups and downs. We see David encouraged himself in the Lord. In the Old Testament, uh, he and his warriors had gone out defending and left the wives and children behind, and the enemy had come and captured the wives and the children. And when the men came back, they were just distraught. They couldn't believe what had happened. And even David's own men were thinking about stoning him. They were so upset. They were so enraged. They were thinking about really just doing away with David because of this thing that had happened. But the Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. You know, there's just times when, when everything's going against you, and even sometimes the people that are closest to you just don't understand, and they just kind of turn their back on you a little bit. Maybe they're not thinking about stoning you, but they certainly will kind of shun you a little bit. That's when you've got to reach down deep and say, wait a minute, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and my Savior. I appreciate the people around me, but my relationship is through Christ, and it is He who's going to encourage me. And you draw that strength from Christ. That is a strength that the world cannot give. David encouraged himself in the Lord. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he said, there's one thing I do. You know, when, when somebody like the Apostle Paul says, there's one thing I do, I think your ears ought to perk up and go, whoa, I need to, I need to listen to this. He said, the one thing I do, he said, I forget the things which are behind and I press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Resilience causes us to say, no, it's not maybe, but I will forget the things which are behind me, all of my mistakes, everything like that. I'm going to forget all of that, and I'm pressing on toward Jesus Christ. That's resilience. It's not a maybe, it's an I will. James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But why can we have resilience? Why? Well, we have all the examples, right? Hebrews chapter 11, we call that the hall of faith, right? Hebrews chapter 11 goes through that whole list of people who by faith overcame. By faith had difficulties, but they overcame. By faith got knocked down, but they got back up. By faith, the promise was delayed from our perspective in being fulfilled, and yet they continued in faith, and the promise was fulfilled. Hebrews 11, that great hall of faith chapter. We think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Remember Joseph? He was the young guy, the young brother, and his, and his older brothers were jealous of him. God was giving him dreams and visions and revelations. And he would tell his brothers, maybe not the smartest thing to do. You know, you guys are going to serve me. God gave me a dream. You guys are going to bow down and serve me. Okay. Sure, Joseph, we'll do that. Well, they hated him. They hated Joseph. So they took an opportune time, and they were going to kill him. They threw him into a, into a pit, and they were going to kill him. But the older brother said, no, <laughs> we're going, we may sell him. Like, that's a little better, and it is. So they sold him, 
to some gypsies, took him down to Egypt. He was a slave. And then, even as a slave, he was elevating because of the anointing of God on his life. You know, you can have the anointing of God on your life and not be in a situation that you really want to be in. The anointing of God isn't about just, hey, everything is going great, I'm anointed. You can be anointed at any time. So he began to elevate the situation. Then he was lied about, and they threw him in prison. And he was there for several years. And again, the anointing just caused him to rise to the top. It was that Joseph had that resilient attitude. You can put me wherever you want to. God's given me a dream. It's going to happen. Don't know how. Don't know when. Not my job. My job is to be faithful. And then, of course, Joseph became the prince of Egypt, second in charge to Pharaoh. I really feel sorry for Joseph's children and grandchildren. I feel sorry for them. Here's a guy, he's sold, he's a slave, he's a prisoner, and now he's second in charge of the whole country. You imagine his children or his grandchildren coming to him and saying, Oh, Dad, you got to help me. There's a bully at school. He called me a name. You think Joseph gave them any sympathy? I say he gave them that much sympathy. I said, toughen up. Buttercup. We need some older people in our lives that know how to put their arm around us and pat us on the back and slap us on the cheek at the same time. Say, look, I love you and you're wonderful now. Shape up. (laughs) Did I just give all the older people in our church a recipe to just slap you? I'm sorry if I did that. We need that. We need to know there is a resilience that God is developing in us. You look at the Apostle Paul, back to him. I mean, Paul, man, what a guy. This guy was just resilient. He's like, you can, you can do whatever you want to. He was beaten. St- he was stoned. One time they stoned him so badly, they took him out and drug him onto the garbage heap just to leave him there. Wouldn't even bury him. Just going to leave him there. They thought he was dead. And he gets back up. And what does he do? You would think maybe he'd go, well, he'd be going in the other direction. No, he went right back into the same city and said, hey, I want to preach again. That's called resilience. That's called you abused me, put me out, I'm coming back. If you're going to abuse me, go ahead and abuse me. Here I am. I'm going to preach the gospel because I could do nothing else but preach the gospel. Mm. Hebrews chapter 12, that great hall of faith, but in Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 starts off by saying we need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Today, we're receiving information without perspective. We're reading things on the internet And we're wondering, how did this person survive this? And how did this person do that? And how did they make it? It is information without perspective. When we look at Jesus Christ, we have information and perspective because of the cross that he bore. We understand and we realize that not only is Jesus talking about love and talking about commitment and talking about faithfulness, but he actually went through it and he lived it. That is perspective. And today we want to get our sound bites from people we don't even know. We want to read it on the internet and try and figure it out. 
There's a resilience, a bouncing back that God is developing in our lives. Jesus endured everything he did for you because there was a joy set before him. What was that joy? It was you. That joy was you. Can we look at our church and look at our city and look at our families and look at our community and say, you know, for the joy that is before me, that hope and that trust that people are going to be born again within this community and rescued out of, out of lives of addiction and abuse, for that joy set before us, we will endure the cross that God has designed for us to bear. We're going to carry that cross, deny ourselves, and live with a resilience that says, I will not give up. It's not a maybe. I will pursue Christ. I'm not going to be a fan. I am a follower of Christ. And we just don't give up. That's where the body of Christ becomes so important because we get information from other people that has perspective to it. What if you were to read on the internet, young family, young couple, brings their first baby home from the hospital, enjoying that first week, but on day number 10, the father makes a mistake and the baby drops on the kitchen floor and fractures his skull. You read that and you think, oh man, what happened? What happened to the kid? Was it bad? Was there damage? How did that father continue? What happened? The mother. How could, they, how could they endure that? And anxiety begins to build because that's a negative story. That's something that's you're like, wow, I, don't, I, don't, I can't even imagine. We read things like that or we hear the bits and pieces on the news and we, we don't have any perspective on what that really was. But what if today I were to tell you that that's my story? At 25 years old, Lisa's 22. We bring our firstborn home from the hospital. Ten days later, I have him in a rocker on the kitchen table letting Lisa sleep in to get some rest. There's a little arm on the back of the rocker to adjust it, and I lean that rocker forward to adjust that arm. And evidently, Tyler's head just went forward, and he fell out on the kitchen floor, fractured his skull. Well, some of you know Tyler. Many of you have met him. He's fantastic. It was just a fractured skull. The worst night of my life. But Tyler's fine. Lisa forgave me. And I needed to be forgiven. And in time, I forgave myself. Resilience is not the absence of problems. Resilience is to say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let this hold me down. I'm going to get back up. Jesus was knocked down so that you could get back up. Jesus bore the pain of our sin on the cross so we can all get back up. See, the body of Christ needs each other because we need to hear the difficulties of life from a perspective of victory and not just simply a soundbite. We need to know that there is victory after defeat because we get back up. Amen? 
we get back up. Therefore, Paul writes to the Romans, and we bring this to a close now. And Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And isn't that really the issue? Can we be separated from the love of Christ? Can something that we go through take us into such despair that, that we just kind of slip away or slip out from underneath his care? And Paul is answering this question to the Romans, and he does it with a series of questions he's asking. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Christ gives us proof by the cross that he bore. Jesus was nailed to my cross and to your cross. Jesus bore my sin and your sin on the cross. But on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead so you and I can rise from the dead. And he proved he is a God that develops resilience within us. He said, just as he has been raised from the dead, we too shall be raised from the dead. Well, I don't know about you. I'm not waiting until that day. Every day I get knocked down, I'm going to get back up. Everything that happens in my life, I say, God, thank you. Let's go. Let's get back up. Now, do, am I perfect to that? Absolutely not. But I'm working on it, just like you are. We're working on being resilient. How many of you today would say, you know what? I want to build more resilience in my life than I've ever had before because God's got a plan and God's got a purpose. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can separate you from God's love. No mistake you've ever made, no fail that you've ever committed, nothing can separate you from God's love. There's no, there's no getting fired that's going to separate you from God's love. There's no getting laid off. There's no getting transferred. There, there's no illness that's going to separate you from the love of God. He's with you every step of the way. You may have failed like I failed with our little baby the greatest failure of my life. But there's a resilience that comes. There's a bouncing back. And all of a sudden we go, yes, yes, God is faithful. Yes, God is good. When we see Jesus Christ on the cross, we see a God who says, I care about you so much. I will not ever leave you. I will never forsake you. That's how much I love you. So the question is, are we a fan or a follower? We've got to dissolve maybe and go to, I will follow Christ. I will. You may be knocked down right now. It's time to get back up. You may have been knocked down and yeah, you're back up, but you're not healthy. Get healthy. Get healthy. Get back engaged. Go for it. Don't isolate. Go for it. Because God's got a purpose and a plan for everything that you experience.